Hi guys, welcome to today's episode of Miss Congeniality. I'm really excited because I think I need your help. Like oh. I was like reading all about you just to like make sure I like knew what kind of stuff I wanted to ask you. And you're just incredible. Oh my gosh. This is Farnoosh, everyone. We are connected because we share agents. Yes. And you are like the most accomplished person I've ever, like I'm reading your bio and I'm like, how how long has she lived on this earth I'm to accomplish all of this? Okay, sorry, you look absolutely twenty five years old, and oh, like, thank you. I I was just like, okay, so she's coined as America's personal finance expert, but not only that, four books, a podcast, like all of these like crazy publications that you've written for, all of these crazy things that you've done. I'm honored that you're here, thank and you. genuinely, I think everyone can benefit from a conversation between two women about finances. And yes. so I'm really excited that you're here. I'm so honored. And P.S., we share an alma mater in our graduate school. Which I just did not know until we right now. We were there at the same same age. Like, yeah. You know, and I admire you so much. So oh to God. hear that from you, I'm very honored. Well, okay. So I don't know how much you know about astrology, hmm. but it doesn't really matter that much. But I'm I've an never Aquarius. Been, that's all I know. Okay, love that. I've never been great with money, just like in general. Like I... I've never been great at math. I've never been great at budgeting. I've never been great at finances. And if you read about like my astrology chart, it all says that I'm going to have problems with money and like be in debt. And I like to like pretend that 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 not everything in astrology is true or whatever, but it's like, it, it's always telling me that. And in my life, I've always been like, I need to get a handle on this. And I feel like I have a pretty decent handle on it. Yeah. But I'm like, I need to be smart about this because I'm so, I'm such an astrology girl. I'm so worried about that prediction. Uh, let's unpack that. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, look, I, I'm an Aquarius and Oprah's an Aquarius. So oh, that's all I need to know about seriously. my sign. Um, you know, I do think there's some truth to some of us coming into the world a little more uh, positioned, pre-positioned to like enjoy math and be good at it and like want to pour through Excel spreadsheets. And like, I, I interview a lot of people on my podcast, So Money, about their money. And mm -hmm. it's not a coincidence that when we talk about their childhoods or when they sort of were coming of age, that there are, there are connections. Like I'm maybe good at money now because when I was younger, I was really into making money and the lemonade stand and all yeah. of that. But I think that some people are more predispositioned, but that being said, it's not that complicated. Yeah. And I get that we're all busy and maybe that's not our passion, but it has to be at the forefront of what you care about and prioritize because money is a limited resource and we have to be careful with how we spend it, how we earn it, how we spend it. And I think as women, sometimes we sell ourselves short. We're like, oh, but this is not my department. And I don't, I don't blame us because we weren't necessarily raised with this mindset that yes. like, this is your domain. You have every right to be careful and mm -hmm. mindful of your finances. You have every right to want to be rich and say that out loud. Yeah. It's your birthright. Yeah. I'm telling women this now and I, and I'm not the person who had necessarily this predisposition, but I became a financial journalist and it kind of all went yeah. from there. Which I love. And you're so right about childhoods. Like I am so grateful and lucky for how I grew up and so privileged. But one thing I noticed actively is like, when my brothers started to drive and they got a car, they were responsible for the finances as it related to the car. And we all had to work. Mm -hmm. Like age 15, we're working in the restaurants. I, If I wanted money, I was working for it. But 
I was also never told that I had to like deal with the finances of my car when I got my license. Mm. My parents let me put my gas on their account that they had because everyone has an, I live in a very small town. Everyone has like an account at the gas station. There's like one gas station. And so like I was allowed to use the account. And like if something went wrong with the car, I had a habit of hitting parked cars. My dad would just like fix it for me. And then like, (laughs) when I realized that when my brothers had become like 17 and 18, my dad was like really keen on them investing, teaching them about that. And I think that it was not specifically told to me and I don't blame them for this either. Like they're not bad people and they didn't try to do this. But in a way it was almost like saying, well, someone is going to take care of Eli so we don't need to figure this out for her. And Jack and Jake are going to have to take care of themselves and probably someone else. And I think I got to college and I was like, well, I actually got to like post-grad school and started making money and especially like with the book and influencing and everything else and having to figure out, having to ask my dad, like, how do I invest and why didn't you teach me this? Like absolutely 10 years ago when my brothers were learning about it. And I think it's just like really interesting that we just, as a society, you like kind of view women as like something separate from money. A hundred percent. And your parents were raising you for the world that they thought we were living in and which yeah. to some extent is very much um, gender gender genderized around money. There was a Georgetown study that came out recently that found that regardless of gender, age, sex, a majority of Americans believe that it is a man's duty and it's better for men to be the breadwinners in a marriage. Now, I wrote a book all about female breadwinners called When She Makes More because I felt like there is a rising tide. There, the, you know, the world, the culture is changing. There are more women going to college, going to grad school, buying homes, investing, and they're arriving in relationships. Chances are making as much, if not more, than the guy across the dinner table, the candlelit dinner table, yeah. and it's creating some friction. Yeah, because we're not really, we haven't been groomed for this. And as, as you know, our rational side of the brain is like, but what does it matter? Who's making what money or who's bringing home the bacon? But it matters because, again, we haven't been raised with any expectations that as women in heterosexual relationships, we're going to arrive um, covering all the finances, managing it. And so I wanted to write a book. This is my previous book about how we can all thrive in this economic flip, which is only becoming more and more of a reality. Yeah. Do you you find this in the dating world? Yeah. I I want to talk to you about that because in general, I throughout my life was used to dating people who made a lot more money than I did, like consistently. Also because right after grad school, I was a journalist. And before that I was nannying and in grad school that I was paying for and paying for my rent. So I was making no money, like just enough to like cover my groceries and like the gym or whatever else. And so then when I started to make more money than the guys I was dating and now like my current partner, I think it's just interesting. Like it's almost like a I don't want to say funny, but I feel like people think it's like funny, like, ha, she makes more. And it's like kind of uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it and it's definitely not my boyfriend making me uncomfortable at all. Like right. he's the best. He's amazing. Right. It's just like other forces. And I think that it's really interesting because the conversation I see the most is how people dating should split finances 
with when the woman makes more, when the woman makes less. And I've always said, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I've always said the person that makes more should cover more of the things. Mm -hmm. And if the person who makes more doesn't want to do that, then everything you do needs to be within the budget of the person who makes less. And the person who makes more can't be saying, oh, let's go to this concert. Let's go to this expensive restaurant. Let's go to this wine tasting, all of these expensive things because the person who makes less can't afford it. And you've now decided that you're splitting things 50-50. You can't split things 50-50 when there's a disparate income. I agree. And I agree with you. I think that, um, the goal should be to try to, quote unquote, level the playing field. And how we do that is that as a couple, we have to come to the table and just deal with the reality first, which is like, I make X and you make two X. And here's what I consider a fulfilling life. Like, here's how I would love to spend my weekends and my years versus what you would like to do. We got to find common ground. Mm-hmm. Who's going to pay for what? And like in my marriage and in my forever, my whole relationship with my husband, I've always made more. Um And certainly we live at my sort of income level lifestyle, okay? That would be probably the same if he was making more. Um, Though, because I make more, I can pay for more of these sort of day-to-day, big, bulky expenses. My husband, on the other hand, makes a really good salary, and we decided that he could be more of the saver in the relationship where he's investing more for, like, the children's college education. He pays for vacations. you got to find a way where within the relationship, no matter what you make, you're contributing. Mm-hmm. And what you're contributing feels meaningful to you, that's going to be different for every person in every relationship. Like for my husband, I think there's a lot of meaning and special. it's special to say that I sent my kids to college. Yeah, You know, I was able to, with my salary, even though making less than my wife, was able to afford little by little to save and send our kids to college. Like mm-hmm. that's not a small feat. Mm-hmm. And so within your relationship, figuring out you know, how you want to be contributors. And money is just one way to contribute. Yeah, We think it's the only and we think it's the most important. And money's important. We all have to pay the bills. But what about, like, especially when kids are get involved in the picture, like taking care of the family and the childcare and food management. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Like, I've stopped making lunches for my kids because yeah. I can't. Yeah. I just... I can't. Yeah, you And as can't. much as I'm like, every day I'm like, please make good choices yeah. <laughs> at the cafeteria yeah. because that's a time suck for me and it's just a trade-off that I'm making and I work a lot and I just can't be that mom that's like cutting the corners of the peanut butter and yeah. jelly. And when I do that, they, it comes back uneaten. So I'm so just, you're just I, like, I'm here's like, whatever, <laughs> here's 10 bucks. Yeah, Seriously, I love it. Can you take me through your journey a little bit for people who don't know you and everything that you've done and accomplished? I know that you we're kind of started this whole thing at 22, yeah. post-grad, 30K in debt, making $18 an hour. I'm analog. I'm very like pre-social media. I started out in college as a finance major, cool. quickly realizing I don't want to be a spreadsheet monkey. I want to be telling stories about money. I've always been passionate about writing and storytelling, but I'm, an, I'm the daughter of Iranian immigrants, and that is not a profitable career track. And so my options were like, Become a lawyer. Um, what else? Maybe, maybe a professor, an engineer, and so these like doctor. Of doctor, course. I was going to thought of like, doctor. Which one was it? Doctor, and I was like, nope, 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 nope. And so the sort of next best thing was finance, and I majored in that. But then again, realized like this is not what I really want to be doing. Yeah. I really have more of a creative sort of way of of living and loving. And so 
I applied for journalism school and yes. paired my financial undergrad with a journalism master's and quickly started working in the field of personal finance journalism. Worked at Money Magazine. Uh, it was the reset. What was it? It was like right after 9-11 too. So it was a really wow. challenging time for the world and as a, as a journalist. But increasingly financial news was becoming front page news because there were all these scandals and it was just like a really rich storytelling era for business. And yeah. so I kind of got wrapped up in that. And as I'm working in my space, I'm realizing that there's a an underserved market of readers and consumers called young adults <laughs> and women that, you know, we're just completely ignoring. Even at Money Magazine when I was there, uh, dream job, uh, they were like, our reader is in his 60s, pretty much retired, Damn. millions in the bank. So that was fine. And there's, you know, that reader uh, paid our subscription, so we must write for him. But I was like, I feel like I'm in this place too of being in my 20s, trying to figure out what to do with my money. And so I just sort of took it upon myself to claim that market. And really along the way, help myself too. As a journalist, you have access to a lot of experts and books yeah. and resources. So I'm learning and then I'm teaching the audience how to learn. I had a column in AM New York, all my New Yorkers who ride the subway. A woman today actually came up to me and she was like, I've been following you since that column in AM That is New York. amazing. Oh so it was like this side hustle that I had to pay my it. credit card bills and my student loans. But that column was all about how to how to New York when yeah. you're 23 and you make I was making eighteen. It's like the finance Carrie. It's like Carrie Bradshaw. Finance, she wasn't in severe oh my God. debt. I mean, TM, yes, yeah. the finance Carrie Bradshaw. And it was great. And then that got me a book deal. Love it. And then I got laid off from my day job. And I was terrified, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay my bills? I did, wasn't recognizing at the time that I was an expert. Like I thought I wrote this book and sure. it would make my mother proud. I would get some press and, you know, call it a day. And then I realized that when I no longer had a job, I still had a platform, which was mm. this book yeah. and made a commitment to just kind of leverage that. And that was 2009. And so from there, I turned my work into giving advice across all platforms. So I wrote more books. I just started doing a lot of television, um, did some financial makeover shows. I worked at CNBC. I became Oprah's columnist for her magazine. Just things kept like coming at me because I was sort of like, this is this was again, not today, right? Today we have so many financial experts from across the spectrum which is really a testament to just how far the conversation has gone and how much of an appetite there is for learning about money and from as many different kinds of people as possible. Back then, it was like me and like four other people. Yeah. So I benefited from sort of this like small, big fish in a smaller pond, um, going out there and being loud about yeah. personal finance and why it was important for women to learn. And I, I was just saying today, like, it would be so different if I was starting my career in 2023 mm. as a 20-something. I'd have to learn all different ways of communicating and, and storytelling. Um, yeah. Like, I'm not that big on TikTok. I, social media, for me, is sort of like an add-on. It's not the foundation sure. of my work. But I think it would have to be like sort of the reverse model these days, yeah. right? You start on social media and then you get the book deals and then you get all the other great things. And so it's a different time, but I am, um, I love that I got my start as early as I did building the momentum, 
I have my new book out called A Healthy State of Panic. I love the title. Thank you. <laughs> Which is a, is a finance book, but it's also a lot of things in the book. It's about how fear can be a tool in your life as you're at crossroads and you're trying to make big decisions in your career, with your money, in your partnerships, in your friendships, and how fear for me has been this uh, surprising friend, which in our culture, we just like to think of fear as the enemy. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, you've had this amazing career. I feel like when you say that you would have to start and do it completely differently Mm -hmm. these days, I think that while TikTok and Instagram like are amazing and I have so many good things to say about them, there's also this like feeling that I get and I think a lot of other people get of like unreliability and there's something about looking up to someone that's really important when I think it comes to something like this because I think most of us see everyone on TikTok as like our peers which is really special Mm -hmm. for you know creating trust and authenticity and growing an audience but then when it comes to something like money which is so personal and also so difficult to talk about and also something so serious that people don't want to do the wrong thing with TikTok doesn't always feel like the best place to go for that sort of advice so I think that really what you're doing might be even better for even people my age who need that guidance because we don't really feel like TikTok is like the most reliable source. I hear that. But you know, what's interesting is that when I started to really immerse myself in my work and use myself as an example and really get in the trenches with everybody else and talk about my life, it was a sea change. I mean, I think it was when um, my community grew, you know, and I, I think that is similar to what's happening on social media. I, I agree. Like, I think the peer relationship is a powerful one. And the sweet spot is when you can be the friend, but also the person who has a body of work mm-hmm. to um, back it up. Sure. Yeah. Miss Congeniality is sponsored by BetterHelp. Has there ever been a time in your life when you knew what was good for you, but your brain or your anxiety and stress was getting in the way? Example being like trying to fall asleep at night, but your thoughts are racing and you just can't fall asleep. Do you ever feel like your brain is getting in its own way? Because I know I do. I found my therapist on BetterHelp. And when I have those thoughts and feelings, that's where I go. I have been in therapy personally for basically my whole life, and I think it is an absolute staple in my self-care routine, and I'm so thankful to BetterHelp for helping me to find a therapist who really works for me. If you're thinking of starting therapy, you should definitely give BetterHelp a try, even if it's just helpful for learning positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. It's really going to empower you to be the best version of yourself, and it doesn't necessarily need to be just when you're in crisis mode, but it also can be. BetterHelp is entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. The first couple therapists I had at BetterHelp and I just like weren't clicking. I didn't think that we were going to be the best fit, and then finally I found the one that I absolutely love now. Her name is Anne. Shout out, Anne. So make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. You guys can visit betterhelp.com slash miss today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash M-I-S-S miss and happy therapying. It's going to be great. I love you guys. So I know this is going to be a broad question, but I think a lot of my listeners are mostly women aged 18 to 35, but I would say most fall between like 18 and like 27, like Mm -hmm. kind of my age where do you, where do we start with all of this? Because okay. I think like for me, you know, I I have help from my dad and like 
you know, a financial advisor to like invest, but not everybody has those resources or who has parents that know about investing or understand that. But I don't really, I really like don't know anything or anything else. Like when someone comes to you and they're like, I have, I'm post-grad, I'm 22, I have student loans, I'm making this money. Like how, where do I start with all of this? First, I just want to do a little bit of mindset gymnastics. I want to talk about some of the things that we don't know because maybe we haven't shouted them loud enough from the rooftops, but here's a few things that I want everyone to kind of get behind so that we can be kind of in the right mental space to do this and want to do this work. Because there's going to be some work, Yeah, but you have to want it, right? Mm-hmm. One, um, when women make more, the world becomes a better place from all angles. Women who make more, um, we find that, for example, as women, you know, we know there's the pay gap, but regardless of their income, women contribute more of their income than men to charitable contributions. They are more um, giving. We are just like we're helpers. We're, We're caregivers. And so more money in the hands of women is great for not just women, but all of society. It is literally the fastest way to world peace, I think. I mean, really, it is. (laughs) I love that. Okay? Like, I believe this. This is not just hyperbole. This is true. And I've even heard from employers who are like, I love women workers. I love moms because they really just, like, get it done. We know how to prioritize. We know how to support. We know how to lead. And so all this to say that you have a lot of positive attributes that can then be taken and uh, leveraged in your financial life. I also want to say, too, that women are better investors than men. Multiple studies have come out from Stanford and everywhere that, like, women, women's portfolios on average outperform men's portfolios. Why? This is really cool. Because all of the reasons we've been told we're bad investors are all the reasons why we're good investors. Like, oh, we don't like to take risks. Oh, you know, we are very pensive and maybe a little bit slower to do things in the financial world because we have to feel like we get all the answers and do the research. That actually works to our benefit when it comes to investing because you know what men are doing typically? And I'm, Crypto. I'm they're like in there trading their Dogecoin. 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 They're they're driving their portfolios with with ego and all that. And it's like that doesn't actually work out. The market is gonna do its thing. And over the course of 20 years, the person who's had less of a hand in, you know, maneuvering their stocks and picking and buying and selling that person's going to do better in the long run. And so let this also sort of feed your confidence that you have the disposition and all the traits that make for a fantastic investor. Now, the work. Where do you begin? Okay, you get it. You're like, I like this. I'm behind this, Farnoosh. I want to be rich. Also, believe that being rich is your I want to be rich. Let's go. It's a scary thing to say out loud, right? I, I feel this way too about saying I'm good at something. Like, being like, I'm a good writer. People are like, oh, like, oh, my God. Oh, you're like, so braggy. I'm like, but I just, am I not allowed to say that? Like, I know it's, like, a man could say, like, I'm a good runner or I'm I'm yeah. a good whatever. I mean, ugh, that's a whole other episode. Yeah, that's like a whole other thing. Why we don't allow women to state facts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and be <laughs> proud of their accomplishments. Yeah. I think that's um, an, an underpinning of why also we have a hard time um, feeling like we're capable of financial greatness. But the first thing I want to say, you know, again, 18 to 35, that um, you got to go out there and make some money. Mm-hmm. And however you like to make money, go make the money. And when you get that first paycheck, I want you to pay yourself first. 
I want you to take whatever it is after they take all the taxes and all the things, 10% automatically in a savings account, okay? Just don't spend that, okay? And then another 10% and open up a Roth IRA. What the heck's a Roth IRA? Okay, we're getting too technical. <laughs> like, follow us in the show notes. But basically, a Roth IRA is a retirement account, and anyone can open one up at any bank as soon as they start making a paycheck. And you can contribute up to $6,500 a year. The Roth IRA um, invests your money. And the beauty of it is that when you go to take that money out in retirement, there's an age limit. You can't touch this money until you're 59 and a half. Otherwise, you pay penalty. So it forces you to kind of keep it out of hands, out of reach. But you keep contributing automatically out of your paychecks. And... In retirement, you get to take that money out tax-free. Damn. Yeah. I didn't even know that. It's a simple way. And $6,500, I mean, that's doable for most people a year. So that's $500 change a month. That's $120 a week or whatever it is. I like to take – sometimes like really breaking it down by the day, you realize just how little it is. It's like $20, $15 a day. Just like don't buy a coffee even. No, buy the coffee. You know, I'm I'm so over the like don't buy the things. I'm like identify what's really important important to you. you. Like coffee is not just caffeine, which is actually enough. It's a lifestyle. It's also a lifestyle. It's like for me, after I drop my kids off at school, I get the coffee. It's like my therapeutic moment in the morning. It's a treat for yourself. It's a gift to yourself. I agree with that completely. But I was more saying like – it is the cost of one coffee. Exactly. So when you boil it down to that, you're like, well, if I can buy that coffee and put the tip on it every day, I can put away that $12 exactly. or however much. Um, because the truth is uh, most Americans are arriving in retirement with not enough and ex- retirement's expensive, whether it's like, you know, because you have to pay for your own health insurance out of pocket mostly now, or you're paying for, I don't know, your, your um, nursing care, all the things. So it's hard to like, it's hard to get a grasp on your future self. So here's also what I – this is like a psychological study from Stanford again that when you age render your face, which you can do on all the apps now, like I think TikTok you can do AI, this. yeah. You see yourself like at age 80. They did a study and they found that people who actually can see themselves age progressed are more likely to save and invest for their future because you're like, oh, look at that cute old lady. Like I want to make sure she's yeah. okay. Yeah. That's you. And so – it's it's a very powerful visualizing tool to be able to see yourself in the future. Um, it's just a, like a hack to like That's get you cool. to see Yeah, it is. That makes sense. Um, I love to use a lot of technology, not even a lot, like a few apps to get my finances auto-managed. So a lot of us have no time. I get yeah. it. And I get it. Maybe it's not even the most exciting thing to do. So let the robots do the work for you. Like when I started – in finance and picking my retirement and portfolio, they were like, okay, tell us what you want us to invest in. I was like, what? You yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like ABC stock? I don't yeah. know. Nobody's good at picking stocks. Yeah. We know this now. Not even the experts. So they have they have basically the software pick it for you based on your age, your risk tolerance, your risk profile. You answer all these you know wonderful questions within minutes. They make the websites, like all the banks that have these portfolios, they make it for you. 
you've literally just hooked up your bank account to them and you're transferring money every month and you're on your way. Do you have like a favorite app that oh, people can use to get started? I will name a bunch. I don't have any affiliations, but like Charles Schwab has, one, a, has one. Yes. And I like sort of the Manageable old school me. ones. Like Charles Schwab's been around for generations. Now they also have the technology. So they have the technology that's backed by like yeah. a century's worth of expertise and knowledge. Um, Wealthfront, Ella Vest, which is great. Um, it's targeted to women. Um, really, you can't go wrong. I would look at the fees. Typically, they're like 0.3% of your, like, so you give them, let's say, $1,000, and they're going to take 0.3% of that. Every year, they take that out of the account. So it's kind of like you don't really have to pay them a, yeah. a check. They take it out of the account every year, which is also a lot cheaper than what it used to be. Like if you have an, a human being doing your portfolio, it's going to cost like three, four times more yeah. than doing it online. It's is, like 1%, right? Yeah, it's 1%. So online, it's more efficient and it's fast and you can track it through the app and see how you're doing. So leaning on the technology, there's a lot of budgeting apps. I would also say find your favorite people on social media that are going to inspire you. Yeah. Find your influencers and your educators online. Join those communities. As I said, now more than ever, there are so many um, people with different stories, different walks of life, different narratives. There is a community for everyone where that didn't exist 15 years ago when I was starting out. I think a lot of people, and I'm curious what you think about this, are get frustrated with budgeting because we're so like locked into our phones and we perceive so much through the lens of social media. Oh, yeah. And a lot of like the most popular people on social media don't have to budget or they're not budgeting. And it can be really difficult. And honestly, like I think people get really down on themselves. Like I don't want to fucking budget. Like I want to live that life. Yep. What would you say to those people and slash in terms of budgeting specifically, since we just went over like how we're going to save and where we're going to start yeah. with that. What about budgeting? Because I think people get frustrated with budgeting and I think it's annoys them for well, lack of a better first phrase. First of all, I don't like the word. Who likes the word budgeting? It sounds like dieting. It sounds like restricting. Sounds not fun. Not fun and painful. So I like the idea of kind of choosing your own words carefully. So what is really a budget? It's a spending plan. It, it, you know, some people will go to the extent of calling it like a freedom plan. This is my way of using my money to earn my freedom. Yeah. Doing the things that I love. It's a passion project. You know, whatever you want to yeah. call it. Like change the word if it's triggering you. Um, because at the end of the day, what it really, the, the purpose is to help you allocate every dollar in a meaningful way. And what's meaningful to you is not meaningful to anybody else. And what you're seeing on social media doesn't is not even real. So yeah. let's just like take it with a grain of salt. And a lot of what people are experiencing on social media, who knows what how they're affording it? Maybe a parent's paying for it. Maybe mm-hmm. um, maybe it is their money, but they're going into debt. So all those like not to like assume anything, but you got to do you. And I like to start with sort of the non-negotiables in your life that you feel like, yeah, there's like rent and bills and maybe start there. Like all the things that are the hard fixed expenses that are the same every month that you have to pay because if you don't, you're out on the street or you're you're out in other ways. So make a list of that. Then the next column, like at the end of the year, what do you want this year's theme to be? Maybe think of it like that. Like what I want this year to be the year of experience, travel, connection, so you get very specific and really um, intentional about how you're spending your money within that theme 
And maybe it's that you plan a few outings or you start to like, you got to like price it out. What is that going to cost me? So you're starting with your hard fixed expenses, which are non-negotiables, but then also what are the things that you want to fill your life with that would actually make you happy? Yeah. And, and honestly, they've done studies on this too, and it's not things, it's experiences. So a trip is a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars, but it's the sort of experience that kind of keeps on paying. Yeah. Because there are memories, there are photos, there's connection, there's who knows what comes out of that trip, right? Who you're going to meet versus how many times have you bought a handbag and it's really exciting at first. So fun. <laughs> so fun. You take the photo, you wear it out. It looks super cute. looks great in your closet and it's been sitting in your closet for months. Now you don't care about it. And now you're like, do I even own that bag still? Like, do I even like that bag? No. So I think that my advice would be to think of budgets as giving your money meaning and defining your why. Why am I making this money? Like, what is the point? What is the lifestyle that I want? And of course, there are some hard fixed assets and things that I have to pay for. So I'm going to make those my obligations. And I would recommend paying those things off automatically every month. You know, yeah. like automatically pay your student loan debt, automatically pay your rent, automat so that with whatever is left, you're like, okay, this is like, let's go. Let's yeah. do this. I do that. I take care of, I say like, eat your vegetables first. Yeah. Autopilot those vegetables. And then so, okay, whatever's left in my checking account or my savings account after a certain date, this is my money to enjoy. Mm -hmm. And I want to encourage people to enjoy their money. We, yeah. um, for a long time, the personal finance advice space was all about restriction. It's like dieting, right? Yeah. Like cutting back, being as frugal as possible. But I think that can backfire. Sure. I do all of the cooking in my apartment and my boyfriend does all the cleaning. And listen, like I'm not really like, I'm not really chef extraordinaire. And so morning routines can be kind of chaotic when I'm trying to like make us breakfast, get his lunch packed and everything like that. But thankfully lately, the stress of breakfast has been taken care of with Daily Harvest. Because with Daily Harvest, I am getting meals that give me quick nourishing foundation for my whole day. They're delivered right to my door and my boyfriend's obsessed with them too, which is amazing. Daily Harvest really keeps my stomach and freezer full with options like fruit and veg packed smoothies, forager bowls, and even lattes. They have tons of options for any time of day like flatbreads soup it's almost soup season and harvest bowls my boyfriend really likes the portobello and pesto flatbread he's always reaching for that one i cannot get enough of the cacao and cold brew smoothie it's literally so good with daily harvest i get so many easy to prep options i don't even have to think about what i have to cook next which is great because you guys know i'm a busy gal and daily harvest works directly with farmers to secure the best ingredients and freezes them at peak ripeness to lock in that always in season taste which I absolutely love. Daily Harvest makes it so easy to eat delicious and nutritious meals. They also support farmers who invest in improving the biodiversity and health of our soil. Even their packaging is recyclable and compostable when possible. It just feels like I'm constantly making a positive impact. Take this dress out of your mornings with Daily Harvest. You guys can go to dailyharvest.com M-I-S-S to get up to $65 off your first box. That's dailyharvest.com miss for up to $65 off your first box. Go get it and try that cacao cold brew smoothie, guys. You're not going to regret it. Love you. What about what about our girls <laughs> who are like who like love to buy things? Yeah. So I think you touched on that, and and I have a hard time. I love I'm like obsessed with shopping, and 
sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes it's a bad thing. Like I'm obsessed with like vintage designer and I'm obsessed with curating my closet and I love my closet. It brings me so much joy to put together my outfits and have my pieces and things I know I'm gonna have forever and hopefully pass on to a daughter one day, et cetera, et cetera. But then there's a part of me that I'm like upset. And so I go to Sephora and I and I buy shit I don't need on on like I really don't need. Yeah. And I like like to buy things. Or yeah. even going to like a CVS or a Target, like, and that's like a bad thing. Well, perhaps and you're a busy woman. Like, are there are you giving yourself too much of an opportunity to spend? Too many opportunities to spend. What I mean by Probably. that is like, <laughs> you know, seriously, like, well, and now, I mean, with the phone. You, it's not like oh, I I had time it's like to go Apple to the Pay on the phone. It's I'm Apple paying on the slope. website. Like, like you have to know yourself. You have to know, track your spending for a week, and not only what you spend, but what is happening around you when you go to make that purchase. Are you in bed and it's 11 p.m. and you've yeah. been scrolling and something hits you and you're like, I need that cute pair of shoes. We've all been there. One thing that I would recommend to you is. Before you hit buy, just put it in the cart for 24 hours and don't buy it. Chances are you won't want it in 24 hours. When we are – like you're telling me like I just like to buy to buy because you get a dopamine hit. When you like – shopping is a thrill. This idea of like getting stuff, accumulating stuff. Who doesn't like that, right? It's like thrilling to be able to like come home with a new something, a shiny object. So part of it is just knowing human psychology. We tend to make impulsive moves when our, you know, our serotonin is high and we're like super excited. So giving yourself a distance, like back in the day before everybody was buying stuff on social media, it was like take a lap around the mall, you know, or like go home. and, And if you're in the store, like put it aside to ask the person at the store to like put it aside for you and then usually they will for 24 hours and then see yeah like when you go home you're like actually I own eight purses that look similar I don't need it I don't need it so that's one really helpful hack um I would also say that if you find yourself being that person who shopping is like a sport you know or a hobby oh such a hobby like okay well let that be like as if you were a golf enthusiast put aside money for that Give yourself a yeah. budget every week. And if you don't use up the budget that week, it accumulates. It, rack, it, ha- it racks up. So by the end of the month, maybe you have $900 of unspent Sephora money. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever it is. But like budget that out ahead of time so that you don't feel this guilt and this confusion over like actually can I afford it? Should I afford it? And keep the receipts. Yeah. <laughs> that's such a good so point. So you can return it when you have the remorse. Yeah. When you're like, I don't need this Sometimes anymore. So shifting gears a little bit, I do want to talk about money and dating because I think it's something that I get asked a lot about. And I I find a lot of like just kind of like arguments happening in my DMs because I've always said, like we were saying earlier, I just think whoever makes more should be the one that's contributing more financially on a day-to-day, but that doesn't mean they're contributing more in the relationship. Right. And I just have people push back against that, et cetera, et cetera. I think a lot of those women that are pushing back against it are women who out-earn their partners and their partners have bruised egos over it or make them feel badly about it. And, and I would love to hear your thoughts on how to handle a situation like that. Is it too far gone? Is that someone we don't want to be with? Or is that, you know, a societal thing embedded in that man specifically who 
that he can unlearn that because I think a lot of women tend to feel shame around the fact that they earn more yep. because that partner has made them feel shameful. Like they can't treat them to things or like. That. Everyone loves to be treated. Can we just say that yeah. out loud? Everyone loves that. And I think that romance, and this is more your department and dating is a very nuanced, delicate, personal scenario. There's no right way. Yeah. There's no hard truth. There's no black or white. It's very much a gray area. And so I think everyone's right. And I think everyone's wrong. I think that's what you do is what you do. And it has to be in partnership with your partner. Every partnership is allowed to decide for themselves what's going to be their dance around this, who pays for what, treating things. Because I think I, you know, again, I wrote a whole book about when she makes more and how it manifests in the dating world and in marriage. And I interviewed a lot of relationship experts. I interviewed gender experts. I interviewed money experts, psycho psychologists, psychotherapists, and almost like everybody agreed that dating is primal. Mm. Like the dating world can be primal. It can yeah. be that way, right? Where it's like, again, um, it's just because of how we've been like conditioned. You know, what we've told women is your role. What we've told men is your role. Those are centuries, eons worth of hardwiring. It's hard to undo, undo that. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that it's not something to work towards. It doesn't mean that we're all doomed and we all have to like play by these archaic gender specific rules. But it's something to just like acknowledge and have maybe a little bit of compassion for when you're in the dating world. If someone's showing up to a date and they are coming with the expectation, let's say a guy in and he's dating a girl and he's like, for me, the first date, I absolutely have to pay or else this date was a failure. You know, that's a very binary way to look at like the dating world. Yeah. But perhaps on the first date, it doesn't become a deal breaker. Like, let him do that, um, but then have a conversation about it. Like, be an adult. Have a healthy conversation about, like, hey, I really appreciate it, and, and I kind of, like, I love that you want to treat me, but, like, for me, I also source my sense of contribution and ego yeah. from being able to contribute. And I want to be able to treat you sometimes because that makes me happy. And that's fair. And that's a very unique conversation that's happening over here. Over there, something different. Like I saw something on the line on the internet the other day. I think it was, um, excuse my grandma. Oh, um, yeah. I forget her name. Uh, I forget her name yeah, too, but she but was like, about. she was like, um, unpopular, unpopular, let me say something unpopular, which is that I, my grandmother told me on the first date never to bring my wallet. So <laughs> I'm not bringing too. my wallet. And I was like, like I'm always like, just look at the check like it doesn't exist because I just like, in my brain, if I'm dating men in this world and there's going to be gender scripts and gender roles and there's going to be like disparity, but there's also going to be chivalry at moments when I can reap the benefits of that, I will choose to. And that's just like my personal feelings around it. Do you? Yeah. I think that is like totally fine. I mean, as long as your partner reciprocates and like gets it and like, listen, no, your relationship is no one else's business. Exactly, yeah. And I think that everybody wants to have an opinion about how every we want to treat relationships like we do boardrooms and executive offices and political campaigns. It's different, you know. Every person's different. It's so going to be different. Like, if someone were to come to my house and shadow me and my husband for twenty four hours, they'd be like, "Oh, she does all the cooking and the food prep." They're falling into these gender role expectations. Like, no, I just like doing it. It's easier for me. And he does a lot of things that I don't want to be doing that are male, like maybe male, you know, oriented. But that doesn't mean that 
he, I expect him to pay for everything. Yeah. If he doesn't, he's not a man. Yeah. It's just, you got to do what works for you. And, you know, no shame to couples that he pays for everything and she loves it and basks in his attention. And like, do Whatever, you. Yeah. Um, when it becomes a problem, I think, is when we think that this is how everybody should do it. Mm. And when we start to also, I think it's problematic a little bit when women, we got to be honest with women. Like the world is not going to be set up totally. all the time where you're going to be able to arrive in a relationship and the man's going to take care of you. And also that's a pretty dangerous mindset to I was going to say it's so dangerous. The whole stay so at dangerous. home girlfriend, stay at home wife TikTok oh, of it all kind God. of freaks me out because I'm like every therapist will ever will say the person that you marry is not the person that you divorce. So even if you think <laughs> you're going to be with this person for the rest of your life, people change. And yeah. if this person changes and fucks you and you're left with nothing, yeah. not even the ability to have financial security because you don't even know about it, it can be really dangerous right. and scary. And we're promoting that to so many, so many young women. women. And like, does it look fun? A fucking course it looks fun She's to buy shoes on somebody else's fucking credit card. I would love to do that. But it's like so dangerous to be promoting that on the Yeah, internet. and that's just to clarify, that's not what we're saying earlier about like when you're dating and he's paying. No, 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 that's, that's like, fine. That's yeah. a circumstantial thing. I think it's a very, very dangerous message to send out that, you know, I get it, life is stressful, there's burnout. But that's not to say like women, hey, just give up. Yeah. And just lean into men's uh, ability to take care of you. I think that's so, so dangerous because if I had a dollar for every email, DM I've gotten from somebody who was like a woman who said, you know, I didn't work in my marriage and I didn't talk about money with my partner. I didn't know how he was spending. I kind of just buried my head in the sand because that's what my mother did. That's what my grandmother did. And he told me he would take care of me. And then that's not, you know, happily not ever after. And now I'm out on the street. I don't have a credit card. I don't have, I don't have money. And, you know, and that's, it's tragic, but in it, and it happens and we need to be, be prepared for that. Also, alternatively, it's like the person who's in the relationship who like likes a relationship and wants to stay, but he doesn't tell her anything about finances and then subsequently controls how she's able to spend the money because it's right quote, not hers, unquote. Oh, I feel like that also happens too. Oh, a lot, a lot. So money, this is this is problematic. Like money, we, we associate money with power in our culture because we're thinking again of business and financial world. And it makes sense in those circumstances. But in a relationship, if you're equating money to power, you are in for disaster because, you know, it... it, it I've interviewed a lot of couples around gender dynamics and money dynamics in their relationships. And the ones that ultimately don't see it through is because whoever makes more thinks that they have more voice in the relationship, that they have more power in the relationship. They have the bottom, they have the last word. And also I've heard it from women who make less, like, well, my time isn't as important as my partner's because I make less. I heard it the other day. Uh, we were getting together for um, drinks with some moms, and one mom had to cancel last minute. And she said it's because she forgot, like, they were having some scheduling issues with her husband. He had a work dinner. And fine, that happens. But then she said in the same breath, and, you know, I'm a teacher, so I don't make as much as him. And so my my social calendar, it kind of takes a back seat to his. No. And I was like, what? That's 
Ooh, so this is, you know, a very, so she's a modern woman and has a lot of like progressive views on a lot of things. But in this context, I was really shocked, but and saddened. Yeah. We are going to take a quick break to talk about the things I am thankful for this year, which include my family, my friends and Lumi whole body deodorant. Like that's it. Those three things. Lumi is a deodorant like no other. It was created by an OBGYN who discovered BO isn't just an underarm thing. It's an all over thing. And as a sweaty gal, you guys know I have so many hot flashes a day with all my hormone issues. This woman developed a pH optimized deodorant that's clinically proven to block odor everywhere everywhere and it works and it's proven to keep working for up to 72 hours if three days of odor control isn't something to be thankful for i do not know what is honestly i really like putting it on my feet which is super random when i wear boots because i feel like my feet sweat so much in uggs and stuff that's like a super unexpected benefit that i got from lumi it's really the first of its kind and it's safe to use anywhere on your body pits under boobs thighs belly buttons butt cracks vulvas and feet. It's aluminum-free, baking soda-free, and paraben-free, which we absolutely love. Lumi Starter Pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, and free shipping. So as a special offer for my listeners, new customers will get $5 off a Lumi Starter Pack with code M-I-S-S, Miss at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumedeodorant.com and use code MISS. Thank you, Lumi, for making this holiday season smell a whole lot better. How do you recommend women start to talk about money? Because I feel like it's something so uncomfortable, even the like, I want to be rich thing. Like, I don't really understand how that's like a cancelable take almost. And I'm sure like as the daughter of immigrants... The, the whole idea of the, quote, American dream, unquote, is to create a life that is better for your children than you had for yourself. And then they can rise up and then you can find success and, you know, work from here to get to here. And realistically, is that American dream actually attainable? No, not necessarily. But I think it's so interesting that, like, that's what we're, like, set up under. And yet saying things like, I want to be rich or talking about money, especially as women, is seen as, like, the biggest no-no, like yeah. quote, gross behavior. Unquote. Greedy, gross. Wanting for anything is not a virtue. Yeah. The only thing you should want as a woman, and I'm being, you know, obviously facetious here, is like your children's health, your husband's happiness. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You're not allowed to want for things for yourself, yeah. for your own self-development, for your own self-empowerment. That is just not something I think uh, that culturally um, – Look, we live in a patriarchy. Yeah. We take a back seat. We have been told to take a back seat. And so, yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable, but I'm going to keep saying it. Yeah. I'm going to go where it's uncomfortable uh, because, like we said earlier, when women make more, the world becomes a better place. And so how do you talk about money? Sometimes it helps to not start out talking about money, but talking about our goals, our aspirations. And again, this is in the context of a relationship. So you want to learn some things about your partner, like what do they have in their bank account? Do they have student loans? Um, you can learn a lot through just observing too. So yeah. like even like those first few weeks of dating, how do they tip? Where do they like to go? What are the experiences that they are having that they're talking about? Um, you can start to pick up on some things. There are clues and there are crumbs, but sometimes I find it's just breaking the ice and talking about, you know, 
how was college for you? Did you work in college? Did you um, graduate with loans? And use yourself as, a, as an example first. You can say, I, X, Y, and Z, so that mm. you're leading the conversation because that person may not be comfortable talking about this sort of stuff, but you're opening, um, you're giving them permission by, sure. sh- by sort of starting it, the thing yourself. And, and kind of going from there, my husband and I, when we were, before we were engaged, we moved in together and we were dating for a couple of years. Um, and I, you know, we're going to be sharing rent. We're going to be buying furniture together, who knows what else. And so I wanted to kind of level set and know really like, let's talk about this really. Like I want to know numbers. Yeah. (laughs) So we went to a margarita bar. We came with some post-its and some pens and we, I was like, all right, write down your credit score. And we knew ahead of time we were going to do this. So we did a little research, but like, what's your credit score? What's in your savings account? What's your salary? Do you have any debt? And what is the debt level? And I think those were the big ones. Do you know so many people don't know how much their partner makes? It's crazy. You know, I was shocked by that. And maybe it's the journalist in me who's nosy and curious. Like, I just ask the questions. But again, I think because it does feel like we're really overstepping to ask these questions. But, oh, my gosh, you're going to be living with this person. You're going to be sharing a life with this person. You should know these things. I did an article one time that was like, if you are going to be that partner in the relationship that buries their head in the sand when it comes to money, at least know these 10 things. Yeah, at least know this. At least know how much they make. At least know if you're going to sign tax documents together, if it's correct or not, the tax paperwork. Because if it's not, you're also going to be on the hook. Yeah. Um, At least know where they're, you know, how they're spending their money. Is there transparency around that? So my husband and I use an app. It's called Empower. And it's a free, it starts out free, but you can basically connect all of your accounts to it. So it shows your net worth as a couple. And then it shows, it breaks it down by assets and liabilities. And, you know, if you've got a home, it connects it to Zillow. So you can see, like, here's how much equity I have. And it's really, like, I enjoy it. So I kind of go in there a lot. You're having fun on there. And then I'll see, like, (laughs) oh, you know, my husband got paid. and Oh, his savings is growing. And, oh, okay. So, uh, you know, we don't have to have a conversation about it every day. I just go on the app. Yeah. Which I think is what how a lot of us prefer to, to get these things figured out anyway. Yeah, it's so interesting to me that it's such a taboo thing to talk about. I mean, like, but I feel the strains of it being taboo, not in my relationship, but more so in life and on the internet. Like, I can tell that women are just not comfortable talking about money. I'm really lucky that I'm in a relationship with someone who, like, is kind of like me and kind of like you, just like, I just ask questions. Like, I'm a nosy, I'm a journalist. Like, I'm just going to be like, okay, like, what's your salary? Like, I'll literally, and I don't have a problem with that. And he doesn't have a problem with that. And he's always like, how's the savings going? Like, how are you feeling about this? Are you feeling comfortable? How is your credit card bill? Whatever. Like, we just have those conversations. But a lot of people, it's so difficult for them. And then it becomes massive problems later on. Yeah, because who are our role models? Our parents? Who who, yeah. who remodeling our financial lives? Um, like my role model is Kim Kardashian, so like I don't know about like modeling my life around her. But. Well, yeah, but she's a powerhouse, you know. She, um, it's not a bad financial leader to have, you know. She yeah. knows how to make money. She knows how to start businesses. She knows how to protect her assets. Um, and there's a lot to admire there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just think it's really helpful to have people like you that are just willing to talk about it because in like a completely different but similar vein, like with my book, I write about 
sex and more specifically how I used to feel so uncomfortable talking about sex. But then when I started watching other women talk about sex in like an unabashed sort of open way, that like was like the first kind of thing for me that I was like, okay, I could also, like I'm allowed to. Yes. Oh, you bring up such a great, such a great um, example. I was uh, asked today, uh, I gave a keynote earlier this morning and someone raised her hand and she said, how do you deal with the side eye of being a woman who is financially ambitious and declares her empowerment and like wants to be rich? And I just feel like I get a lot of like eye roll. And I go, for every person who's rolling their eyes, there are millions of people that are watching you and rooting for you. And when they see you succeed, it gives them the license and the permission to follow in your footsteps. So we tend to focus on just like any, any forum, like you get a negative comment, you get a bad review. Like you think that it has so much power over you, right? You're Mm. like, Oh my God, nobody likes my work or nobody thinks I can, I'm capable. It's, you know, it's our human tendency to obsess over the one negative as opposed to all the positive. So if you find yourself feeling stuck because you're obsessed with the negative which is a reality. Not everyone's going to support you. There's a lot of rejection. There, I guarantee you there is a much bigger pool of people who are rooting for you in silence, who are watching you quietly. Like Kim Kardashian doesn't know that you're probably thinking of her as her financial role model. But, you know, if there's ever a moment where even she feels this is too hard, I feel so rejected, like to remember you and others out there who are looking at her and going, oh my God, I can too. Yeah. Like, you don't want to stop. Yeah. Do it for us. Do yeah. it for everybody else. That's so That's so real and, and very, very true. And I always also have to ask myself, like that person rolling their eyes is the reason that they're rolling their eyes because they wish that they could use their voice to talk yeah. about those things. We are afraid of the unknown. Mm-hmm. We, when we fear, like what you're, what they're experiencing and what they're unleashing on you is their own fear Yeah, of not seeing this modeled before. We fear what is unknown and uncertain. So have a, having compassion for those people, I know that you have to really dig deep for that, yeah. but it's, it is the best way to encounter that, the best way to receive that. I think um, knowing that some people just unfortunately don't have the worldliness and the opened-eyedness to be mm, like, yeah. that is cool. That should happen. And maybe there's a part of them that is resentful because maybe part of them wants that too, but they went a different direction. And now seeing you model something different makes them question their own choices. And that's a really hard place to be in. For sure. I'd love to hear you talk about your new book, newest book, Yes, A Healthy State of Panic. Um, I'm very excited to read it. Well, actually my first question, what book would you recommend that we all start with? And as we all, I mean the women 18 to 35 that listen to this, out of your four, and then can you speak to your new one a little bit? Well, since we've touched on it so much, I think, and because of your audience being interested in relationships and dating, When She Makes More, my last book, is probably right up your alley. I'm excited. Um, I'll send you a signed copy. I should have brought them. I don't know why I wasn't thinking. But this new book is really special and different for me. You know, again, I've been doing this for 19 years. I've written three other books about money, and I was kind of ready to talk about Money, but like money in the context of bigger things like life. When we're talking about money, we're talking about life. I kind of wanted to get really creative with this project. 
tell you, when you hit your 40s, you're like, I'm not doing anything unless it's fun. Didn't Kim Cattrall say that? She goes, oh, yeah, she, she did. Said, I'm not going to go anywhere for more than five minutes if I don't want to. And I was like, but, that's so true. I mean, it's a privilege and you have to earn that that kind of, I mean, I hope we can all sort of embody that, but it, um, it does get easier with age because you sort of like, you know yourself and you've hopefully built something where you can, you know, kind of choose like to say no more to things than yes. And so this book, I wanted it to originally be a memoir. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I bet you that would be great though. And so it is still that, but it's a memoir of service. There is a big idea. When I was writing all my stories about growing up as the daughter of immigrants and all the kooky stories, which by the way, came out of a stand-up comedy stint. I did stand-up comedy in 2018. I'm obsessed. And you can Google it, YouTube. I'm about and to like, Google it. Everyone's now on Google. Like well, Our literary agent saw it and was like, do you have more of this material? I think it could be, I don't know, the beginnings of a book. Oh, they said that about and that's how this came yeah, to be? basically. They're amazing because I mean, they just my have the foresight. Stuff. They right? really they do. Like, uh, they kind of like can see the future. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, yes, I've, I, this is my life. So I have a lot of material. I don't have it all written down. And the team said, please start writing. And so I began writing these short essays, short medium essays, and submitted the proposal as that. Like it was called A Healthy State of Panic, Living at, Living, wait, is it? Winning at Life When the World is Out to Get You. That was the original subtitle. And it was just going to be a series of like funny essays of my coming of age and, you know, everyone wants to know, like, how did you become who you are? And I'm like, oh, you really want to know? How long do you have? Yeah, how long do you have? So thankfully, so it was sold as that concept. But ultimately, my editor, who was so smart, is so smart. She's like, I think that these stories are cool and great. But I want to... I want to be able to sort of see – I see a pattern here with fear. Mm-hmm. You've had a very complex relationship with fear your whole entire life. What do you think is the thesis? Mm. And I said, you know, I think it's that I love fear, that I think yeah. fear gets a bad rap, but I think it would be interesting to look at how fear can be a tool yeah. in our lives. We feel it all the time. Fighting it doesn't work. I've never been able to be fearless. I kind of think that if you – think you're completely fearless and you can do life fearlessly, that you don't care about risks, you can afford any kind of outcome. Who can do that? No. Are you a psychopath? Yeah. So she's like, oh my God, that's really interesting. What if we pair these stories with that big idea and Mm. kind of create, kind of keep supporting that thesis with all of your stories? And I was like, okay, that's more work than I was planning, but uh, well worth it because I feel like who wants to read a sloppy memoir? You know, I'm not personally. I'm not me. Britney Spears. Personally, me though, I love a memoir. I'm big like short, like I. But love like, that. I haven't done anything heroic. I haven't really gone through anything like but you have. I mean, I bought a house in New Jersey at the height of the pandemic. That's my like craziest thing in recent years. I'm pretty like, I'm. But I think that's a lot of us. Yeah, I don't think most of us are like, you know, um, Britney Spears. Britney Spears walking a tightrope across the Grand Canyon. Like I think, or like. I joke, you know, I didn't leave my husband for a throuple. Like I just yeah. had a pretty steady, quote unquote, um, boring life. But I have experienced some things that I think I want to talk about that yeah. were all very terrifying, but um, kind of worked out. As my, my my Iranian mom would say, everything worked out. <laughs> you know, like you kind of like she raised me to be scared on purpose as a kid. And I start there in the book, like a lot of the terrifying things 
that I, I, um, catastrophized in my life as a, as a little girl thinking like everybody was a stranger. Everybody was out to get me. Everybody was going to like pull a crime. And part of that you'll understand when you're reading was like how I was raised, the timing of my, of my life and my mom being 19 when she had me. Wow. And married to my dad, but very much like living a single mom life, raising me um, very much independently and didn't speak the language, didn't have any money. And so also living in Worcester, Massachusetts, which is, you know, the New York Times calls it nobody's first choice. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, you were the like, New York Times. the New York Times, it's not me. Um, and so all this was like this confluence, this perfect storm of like me being this little girl that was constantly afraid. But truly, it all worked out. Fear has, I've learned to engage with it and have it be more of a collaborative relationship as opposed to a combative relationship. Sure. Come for the stories stay for the advice or vice versa. The book has a lot of humor and sadness and grief, but also wins and losses. I mean, it's, it was the hardest thing I ever, ever, ever attempted to do in my professional life and also personal life. Cause it's really hard yeah. to do this. It was during the pandemic as I was writing, um, which was again, it's on its own, a scary thing, but I'm on the other side now. And you will, you are almost two and it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm curious before I ask you my last question, have you been able to teach your mom things Mm. Mm -hmm. in in your own career? And has that been special or how has that been? Oh my God. That's such a sweet question. And yes, I I have a couple of examples. One is a relationship example. So my mom, you know, had me very young. And then my brother was born 11 years later when she was 30 And so her entire sort of young adult life, I mean, what were you doing at 19? Like not raising a kid. Drinking in a college frat In a foreign country. Yeah, (laughs) same. So her her sort of coming of age was stunted because of the circumstances of her life. And I don't think that she would have chosen this, which is maybe a hard thing to realize as as her daughter. But I also understand it. You know, she did the best she could. She loves us. I had a great childhood, but I think like most young women, their first choice is not to like be married right away, be a mom right away and live in a foreign country right away all at the same time. So all this to say that, you know, now as my brother and I are older and we're out of the house and she's in her sixties now, she's living her best life. And she said to me one time, she's like, you and your husband, Tim, you're teaching me how to have my own independence within my marriage where my dad and she were very are and were very like a codependent so they argued a lot but they reconciled and like they just like again it's it, part of it was also their generation and the culture like my mother could never like have a girls weekend and be gone for 3 sure. days especially when we were young um it was all for us it was always like to give back and now she's like you and Tim inspired me because we go off on our separate ways, right? He'll go on a guy's trip. I'll yeah. go on a girl's trip. I'll go on a business trip. He'll go on a – like we do things together and we do things apart and that's what keeps us strong. And she never saw that in her contemporary friend relationships. And it was also not something that was supported. Like my dad would have been like not cool with that. So, But now she's like, I'm putting my foot down. Yeah. I am going on girl's trips and I am doing things for me because I need to play some catch up 
And you're modeling that for me that it's like so important and healthy. And then uh, she read the book uh, recently and I was a little scared about her reading about my interpretation of growing up as her daughter. Mm. As you can imagine, you know, you have all the stories are true and they're through from my perspective. Um, and she said to me, you know, I feel like reading this book was therapy for me because you were able to connect some dots about my choices in my life that I didn't maybe give myself credit for, I didn't recognize, um, and I didn't know you were watching me so carefully all these years. And I don't think I could have written with this perspective, with all the perspectives that I have now, like 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Because my mom and I have had a very, our, our relationship has evolved and it wasn't mm -hmm. always a good relationship. It was like, it had highs, it had lows. Um, and I think there was that tension of like being so close in age and her never quite feeling like she had reached her potential in her 20s. Yeah. And so she tried to do the things that I would do and I would get really like, you're not, you know, I wanted a mommy. Yeah. I wanted a mommy who I'd come home and she'd have the cookies and the things and we could talk about things up all night. But like she was like tasked with a lot of responsibilities. She had this busy job and she um, was trying to figure out who she was, Yeah, you know, and I got to give her a lot of credit and I do now, but as a, young per a younger person, I think that I was centering it too much around me. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Like she was going through a lot mm -hmm. and now I'm a mom and I'm a wife. And so I can really see how it's challenging and you have to make trade-offs and there are hard choices and it's not always in the best interest of your kids, but you're, it's come, like all your choices are coming from a good place. And so writing about, writing about her was always, I was trying to come from that place of yeah. like understanding and compassion. I asked my, I had a, a writing coach throughout the process, um, Suzanne Kingsbury. And I had asked Suzanne once in a while, as we're going through the pages, I'd say, um, I just want to make sure that I'm not throwing my mom under the bus. Cause you know, that's pretty easy yeah. to do. And she's like, no, 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 no. I actually think your mom is kind of the hero. And I was like, well, that's taking it too far. I think we should reel it back a little bit. Yeah. Like, we need to find a happy medium. But yeah, I mean, there's like stuff in there that um, I've written that now taking a step, a giant step back and having be where I am in my life today, I'm writing about it much differently yeah. than I would maybe 15 years ago. That's really interesting, but so very sweet. As nobody well. should write about their mothers when they're like 22. Yeah, don't know. <laughs> Definitely not. It's not going to be a fair portrait. Yeah. Yeah. So my last question for you is just if somebody weren't to listen to this entire episode, and I were to just ask you, what is one piece of advice that you would give for young women, post-grad women trying to navigate uh, this world? What would that be? And that could really be about anything. It doesn't have to be finance related if that's not what comes to mind. This might sound harsh, but nobody cares about your money than you. No, no one cares more about your money than you. Yeah. Just accept that. And what I mean by that is you have to be your biggest advocate and you need to want for things more than anyone else wanting you to have things because everyone's living their own life and you deserve it. It is your birthright to come into this world, be as successful as you can be, make all the money you want and can, and trust that it's much better on that side of the coin. It's much better to be rich than to have not. And you have a lot of potential, but you have to also believe that nobody's going to want this more than you. So that means you got to ask for it. You got to negotiate. 
You have to get educated if you feel like that's the piece that's missing. No one's going to come knock on your door and be like, hey. Here's a million dollars. Here's a million dollars. Or, hey, you know, I think you should learn about money. Let me help you. There are resources out there, but we have to seek them out. So this is something that we just have to prioritize um, for better or worse. But I think it's a great opportunity. And now more than ever, I mean, for me, starting out 20 years ago, I mean, it was like, just a smidge of all of the resources that we have now. So enjoy it. Go I get it. That. Go get that money. Go get go get rich. Go get rich. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Can you please tell everyone where they can find you? This was amazing. Thank you. I feel empowered now to go figure Do some stuff out. Yeah. And when you're not, just call me. Yeah. I'm pretty <laughs> active in, on Instagram in the DMs. <laughs> so follow me on Instagram. I, I always answer people's questions on my podcast on Fridays. Awesome. So if you have a question for me, you can, um, you know, send me uh, an email, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. You can direct message me on Instagram. And the book is available everywhere, but you can learn more about it at ahealthystateofpanic.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're the best. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Bye, guys. Bye.